0: Welcome to the Vintage Church podcast. Vintage Church is a movement of truth, love, and community. For more information, visit VintageChurchNola.com. Here is this week's message. Well, good morning. good morning. Welcome to Vintage Church. If I've never met you before, my name is Dustin Turner. I serve as the lead pastor of Vintage Church, and I'm excited to be here. It's been so cool having Jake Smith. Uh, Jake Smith back with... I don't even know your name, Jake. What's your name? Uh, Jake Smith back with us. Uh, we have Greg Wilton here with uh, Long Hollow. It's it's so cool as we wrap up this series, talking a lot about the church and Vintage Church to see people that God has brought along the way to be a important part of the life of Vintage Church. And so I think about Jake. I think about. Uh, you know, the early days, the first iteration of the Art Center, and then uh, how many of you were a part of Vintage when we were gathering at Carrollton United Methodist Church? Yeah, Yeah, did you notice that? Did you notice that? A few, a few, the faithful, right? And that, I think what's so cool about that for me to think about our church is to see how many different people have been a part of this church, and how many people have been impacted by the life of Vintage Church, and how many people throughout the last almost 11 years God has sent to other places to make an impact for Jesus. And that's, that's really what we're talking about as we conclude this series. Over the last few weeks, just to give you kind of a recap, these are the things that we've been talking about. This house is home. This group is caring. This team is serving this family is leading. We've been looking at the New Testament and Paul's letters and some of the other apostles' letters to the early church about what we can know about the church and what it means for us as Vintage Church. And this week, it's so, I think it's just so appropriate that we're talking about this home is growing. This home is... Is growing, And so that's where we're going to be. As you think about that, one of the things that we've kept putting before you is what we call our vintage pathway. Our vintage pathway is the strategy by which we carry out the mission of Vintage Church. The mission of Vintage Church, we exist for gospel proclamation, gospel transformation, and gospel multiplication. How do we carry that out? Through the pathway, right? Every week, we gather here to worship Jesus for many people. The gathering, Sunday morning, is the front door of Vintage Church. It's the way you come into the church, right? Hence, the front door, right? Right. So we gather, but then we don't want people just to gather. We want people to connect because the church is a home. The church is a family. And so we spent time talking about our V-teams and our V-groups. Why? Because we believe that our V-teams and our V-groups are one of the best ways to connect with the church. But we don't want just people to connect with the church. We want them to partner. When we talk about partnership, what we talk about is membership, and what we mean by that is not just connecting, but committing. We believe that if the church is home and if the church is family, then what are you going to do? You're going to commit to that home and to that family. For many of us in this room, We're going to then lead. God is going to call us to lead in his local church, whether it's in this church, another church, whether it's in your home, whether it's in your workplace, you're going to lead. And then each and every week, every single one of us, when we walk out these doors, we're sent by God. We're sent by God, whether it's back to our, our homes, our neighborhood, our workplace, maybe it's to another state, maybe it's to another country, but regardless of what we are doing, we're being sent out on mission by God to spread the gospel, to share the gospel that other people would come to know Him. So, what I want us to look this morning is in Philippians 2. Philippians 2, verses 12 through 18. If you don't have a Bible, lift up your hand. Our Connect team would love to get you a copy of God's Word as our gift from us to you. Philippians is an interesting book because Paul, who wrote the book, is in prison. And he's visited that church before. He planted that church. And now he's writing a letter to that church from prison. And these are some of the words that he has to tell us. Philippians 2, verse 12 through 18. Paul writes this. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. Remember, he's in prison. This is what he wants them to do. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. What I want us to see from this passage this morning is how this home is growing. What is Paul able to teach us about the home, the church growing? This is the first thing that I want you to see this morning. This home is growing through our obedience verses 12 through 13, through our obedience. In verse 12, the first thing that Paul says is this, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, the idea of work out, right? Number one, it's an imperative. It's a command. Paul is challenging the Philippians. This is what you have to do. And what he's talking about The idea of work out is to bring about, produce, or create. What Paul is saying, the end result, what you're working toward, is obedience in Christ. Another way to think about it is like this, right? Because when you hear the word work out, what you immediately think of is work, right? Working for something. Here's what Paul is not saying, right? The point is not to work for salvation, As we're going to see, that's a gift. The point is not to work for salvation, but work from salvation. Maybe you've had this experience before. When I was in school and in college, I had teachers and professors. The first day of the semester was the best day for many people in the class. Do you know why? Everyone started out with an A, right? Do you remember that? Like You you went in and they were like, listen, there's no reason to be depressed. There's no reason to be overwhelmed. Why? Because today, and today might be the only day of the semester, you have an A. And then, guess what you have to do? So you start with the A, but you have to work to maintain the A, right? And that's a lot of what Paul is saying here. To work out is not to suggest that we're doing anything to earn our salvation. But what we are doing is if the gift is salvation, if it's a gift from God, then we must work to mature in it. Another way to think about this is in theological terms, justification versus sanctification. The, the, the word justification can be defined like this, it's an act of God, by which he declares sinful people not guilty, but righteous instead. Now that's important, right? Because you can't do anything for that. It's an act of who? Well, okay. We're going to talk today, right? It's an act of who? There we go, right? There's nothing you can do. It's a gift given to you, right? There's nothing that you can do to earn your salvation. It's a gift from God. And it's different because when you are saved, and everyone who has experienced salvation knows this, right? When you are saved by Jesus, you're still broken and sinful. You're in the process of being made righteous, but in that moment when you are justified by God, you are declared righteous. Do you know why you're declared righteous? Because when God looks at you, he no longer sees your sins. Rather, he sees the righteousness of Christ. And so he can declare you righteous because he sees Jesus and his righteousness and not your sin. It's a gift. That's why when we talk about, when we talk about salvation and the gospel here at Vintage Church, what we talk about is, like, listen, there's nothing you can do to earn your salvation. There's absolutely nothing. Listen, you don't even want salvation if you're far from God. It's a gift, which is why all we do is receive it in repenting of our sins, recognizing our need for Jesus, turning away from our sin, and in faith, trusting Jesus because his death, burial, and resurrection is what saves us. That's the work that God has provided through Christ for us. So, for some of us, as we talk about obedience this morning and our home growing through obedience, the point is not to do a bunch of other things, but maybe for the first time recognize your need for God and that the only thing that you can do is to turn away from your sins. Say, Father, forgive me for my sins. And in faith, Jesus, I trust you to save me. That's an act of obedience. The other part to all of this that I think Paul is referring to is sanctification. Another way to describe sanctification is this, it's the cooperative, so it's not an act of God alone, but a cooperative work of God and Christians by which ongoing transformation into greater Christ-likeness occurs. That is what Paul is referring to, working out our salvation in fear and trembling. And guess what? When you become more like Jesus, what happens in your life? You become more obedient because Jesus was obedient to the Father. Look at what Paul references in Philippians 2.8. When he's talking about working out our salvation with fear and trembling, just a few verses before that, he's referring to Jesus, Philippians 2.8, and being found in human form. Jesus was fully God, put on flesh, left heaven, came to earth. He humbled himself by becoming what? By becoming what? There we go. To the point of death, even death on the cross. You see, Jesus demonstrated for you and I what obedience looks like. And so Paul is telling us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling because we're to be like Jesus, and Jesus was obedient. And so you and I, that's what we're working toward. That's what we're working out in our salvation. Paul goes on to say this in verse 13, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure, which is really good news for you and I. Because if we were working on our own salvation, you know what would happen? We'd screw it up. But what Paul reminds us here is that even though obedience, even though sanctification is partially on us, it's not fully on us. Think about this. As much as we're responsible for our obedience, God is the one who makes it possible. And so, God, the gift of salvation is given to us by God, but it is through that gift, through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit dwelling in each one of us, that we are then able to live out that salvation and practice obedience in our lives. That's what Paul says. He talks about it's both to will. This is God working in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. To will. God gives us the determination to obey. To work. God gives us the power to obey. Right? So when you don't want to obey, right? How many of you are like that some days? I don't want to obey today. (laughs) Most days, right? When you don't want to obey or you don't think you can obey, what what does Paul remind us? God is going to work in and through you that you will obey. So when you think you can't, remember that you have the ability, you have the power through God to obey Christ. What I want you to think about this morning is this. Our obedience positions us for God to grow this home. Now, who's doing the growing? Question, who's doing the growing? God. Who's doing the growing? Who's doing the growing? Who's doing the growing? God does the growing. Right? You and I, if we're faithful and we're sharing the gospel, we're telling people about Jesus, you know as well as I do, there's nothing you can do to save someone. Only God can change a heart and move someone from darkness to light. But we are responsible for sharing that good news. And so God is the one who grows his family. But it's through our obedience in looking more like Jesus and acting more like Jesus that God uses us, that his family, that his home would grow. Right? If we're not sharing the gospel, how are people hearing about it? If we're not looking like Jesus... Do you think people are going to be attracted to Christianity in the church? And so, when we're obedient, when we're looking like Jesus and acting like Jesus, that is the means by which God uses and works to grow this home. The second thing that I want you to see this morning is that God grows our home not only through our obedience, but number two, through our unity. Look at verse 14. Paul says this, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Now, I don't want to go in, I spent a lot of time last week talking about unity, being unified around truth and love, but I think there's a reason Paul brings this up here in this passage. The whole idea of doing things without grumbling or disputing would have caused the Philippians to think back to the Israelites. Remember what the Israelites did, right? God, They were in captivity for 400 years in Egypt as slaves. And then God delivered them out, opened the Red Sea that they could walk through, was going to bring them into the promised land. And what do they do when God does all of that? That's it, God? Couldn't you have done a little bit more? Look at what Numbers 14 says. Verses one through two, then all of the congregation raised a loud cry and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, would that we have died in the land of Egypt or would that we have died in this wilderness? Man, they're lucky they've got God as their father and not me because I would have slapped them silly. Are you kidding me? After everything that I did for you, you want to die now? You want to die in this wilderness? And what Paul is telling the Philippians is don't be like the Israelites. Don't be the people that grumble and complain, whether it's to God or about God or whether it's at one another. And I want you you to think about this, right? Think about, this is the question that when I was thinking about this sermon this week, this is the question that came to my mind, okay? Why would anyone want to be a part of a divisive, backbiting, unloving community. Anybody say, "Sign me"? I'm ready for that. Sign me up for that today. Sounds really encouraging. No, no, no one wants to be a part of that. Right? I mean, you, I could give you $10,000 and say, you, want, you might do it for a season, but you're going to give me half the money back and say, I'm out of this. Right? No one wants to be a part of a divisive, backbiting, unloving community. And if that's what the church looks like, why would anybody want to be a part of that? Right? If you want that and you don't have a Twitter account, just go sign up for Twitter and stay on Twitter all afternoon. Okay? You're going to find a backbiting, unloving co- community. Right? No one, no one wants that, Christian or not. What people want is a community where they're encouraged, supported, and loved. And listen, that's that's the premise behind the church, that we have been loved and encouraged by Jesus, and that we would then go and do that for one another. And that listen, it doesn't matter Christian or not, that's what's attractive to people. People want to be a part of a community where they're loved and encouraged. That doesn't mean not challenged. But they still want to be loved and encouraged. And for us as the church, we should be asking ourselves, does our community look like divisive, backbiting, and unloving? Or does it look like encouraging, supportive, and loving? Because that is what is going to attract people into the body of Christ. So they'd say, not only do I want to be like Jesus, but I want to be a part of that community. Our unity positions us for God to grow this home. When the church, when vintage church is unified, we might not always agree. We might not always like one another, right? I mean, family, right? Right? Let's not lie to ourselves. Family's not easy, right? But when we are unified around Jesus and his gospel, man, not not only do we honor God with that, but people are attracted to that. Our unity positions us for God to grow this home. Now, what I want you to see is what I think Paul is kind of bringing his argument to, that when we are obedient and when we are unified, this allows us to have our witness. That this home is growing through our witness. Look what Paul says in verses 15 through 16. So he says that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. You see, in these couple of verses, what he's doing is he's comparing and contrasting the world to the church. And look at how he describes, number one, the church. The church is to be blameless and innocent, right? So when you come to the church, whether it's the individuals or the whole collective church, you should be able to come before the church and not blame them on anything. Not say they're guilty of this or they're guilty of that. They're to be blameless, innocent. And then he compares that to the world. The world is what? Crooked and twisted. Lately, I've been reading uh, C.S. Lewis's Space Trilogy. It's like a sci-fi uh, with a Christian twist, you know. So that might be interest some of you. If you're interested, go pick it up. But one of the interesting things about that book is Satan, the character of Satan in the Space Trilogy. C.S. Lewis calls him the Bent One. And humanity on Earth are called Bent Ones. And as I read that I thought that was so interesting because here here's the image that comes to my mind that God has created something straight. But our sin and the enemy has distorted it and twisted it and made it crooked. So, Paul compares and contrasts this idea of the church being blameless and innocent versus the world being crooked and twisted. Why? Because he's about ready to tell and remind the Philippians and remind us what our witness, why we should witness and what it should look like. Look at what he says. What should our witness be like? Like lights as they shine in the world, like lights shining in the world. And I I want you to think about that, right? Now, it's hard to do in the city of New Orleans, right? Go out in a night sky, you can't see anything. But imagine going somewhere where maybe you've been before, out in the woods or something, and you're able to look up at the sky. And you're able to see all of these different stars. And and what Paul is doing, what he's reminding us about, is he's, he's making a contrast. And he's saying there's darkness. And when there's darkness, you can see nothing. But when you put light on darkness, there's a contrast. Because there's darkness, but you can begin to see the light, and the light penetrates the darkness. What Paul says is that each and every single one of us who know and love Jesus, we're to be lights penetrating that darkness. Jesus says it like this in Matthew 5, verses 14 through 16. He says, you're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You see, here's the thing. If, if you are living in darkness, right, in our world, if it's crooked and twisted, it's a dark world. But if your life looks like darkness, is there any contrast? Darkness on darkness, there's no contrast, right? What Paul is saying is that living in a dark world, there's only contrast when there's light. and Then you begin to see Differently. When people look at your life, they see the darkness because they're living in the darkness, but they see the light that you are giving off in the darkness. And what Paul reminds us here is that's what, that's what we've been called to do, that's what it looks like to have a witness for Jesus. How do we do that? I think it's interesting what he concludes this little section with in verse 16. He says, holding fast to the word of life. So we are to be lights that shine in the world. We do that by holding fast to the word of life. The word of life being the gospel of Jesus Christ. So you and I, we can be witnesses for Jesus when we hold fast to that word of life. Two things I talked about last week, right? That there is truth and love. That you can know the truth, that you can share the truth, but you can be a jerk while you do it, right? That's not what Jesus wants. That's not what the Bible teaches, and so I think for us, holding fast to the word of truth means, number one, sharing the gospel, teaching the truth, right? This year at Vintage, we've spent a lot of time talking about the three circles because we just think it's a, it's a great, simple tool for every single one of us to understand the gospel and to share the gospel starting with God's design. Genesis 1 and 2, God created everything. It was perfect. Humanity was living in harmony with God. Everything was exactly as God created it to be. Genesis 3, sin enters the world. Adam and Eve, our first parents, disobey God. God says, don't eat of that tree. They eat of the tree. Because of their sin, our world is broken. Our world is broken, and we are broken. And we, listen... It doesn't matter what you believe about God. I've never met anybody that said, our world is perfectly fine. Have you ever met anybody like that? Everybody is going to tell you something is wrong. Something is broken. So our world is broken. The squiggly arrows are the ways by which we try to fix our brokenness whether it's a relationship, a career, more money, more fun, whatever it might be, but we all know that none of those things really fix the brokenness. The Bible says that the answer to the brokenness is the gospel, the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That's God's answer for our brokenness. And that when we repent and believe in Jesus... We recover and pursue God's design. That if we would repent of our sins and in faith trust Jesus, trust the gospel, what happens is we recover, we come back to what God had originally planned, and we begin begin to pursue God's original design. That is what changes the world. This is the message that we share The truth that we share. But we also not only share the gospel, we show the gospel. Truth in love. I cannot say this enough. If you don't share the gospel and love people while you're doing it, no one wants to listen to you plain and simple. I was having a lunch meeting this week with a guy in our church and we were talking about gospel conversations. And he was talking, man, I had this gospel conversation, it was great, but then I I did something and I was a jerk and they saw it and they knew because they knew there was a Christian. And I said, listen, the most important thing that you can do because I've done this before where I've shared the gospel, I've been a Christian and then I do something that's unchristian-like. Most important thing you can do is to apologize. Because what people want, they know you're not perfect, but what people want is someone who's real and authentic. And if you're genuinely following Jesus, your apology is repentance. And you're showing them that while you're not perfect, you recognize where you went wrong and you're apologizing to them. If we're going To use our witness for God to grow His church, we must share the gospel and show the gospel. Our witness positions us for God to grow this home. Our witness positions us for God to grow this home. Who grows the home? God and here's the incredible thing right God could have chosen many different means for people to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ but do you know who he chose he chose us and what that means is if people are not sharing the gospel if people are not showing the gospel, then no one hears the gospel. And I don't know about you, I think about it like this. If I know somebody is sick, I see something in their life and I know that they're sick and I say nothing to them, man, I'm not loving them. And listen, I can share, like, hey, I think there's something wrong with you. I think you're sick. I've done my part. I've told them what I see that I think they're sick. It's not up to me whether or not they accept that or reject that. I've done everything that I can do that they would know that they need And for us, Vintage Church, listen, God is going to grow his church as we share the gospel with people. People are going to reject the gospel. It's not your responsibility to save people. But because you share, people are also going to accept the gospel. And this home is going to grow because God is growing his home. The beginning of this series, I started out with this door, right? If you remember and you were here, I came through it as Mr. Rogers. Everyone thought that was funny. And I walked in and I said, welcome home. Because the church of all places should be the place where every single person feels like they're at home. But here's the the thing that I want you to think about this morning. For 2,000 years, the church has been gathering like this to worship Jesus. And I don't know about you. I think if we do anything for 2,000 years, we should probably keep doing it. It's probably kind of important. But do you know what else the church has been doing for 2,000 years? For 2,000 years, they've been leaving the place where they've worshiped. And Monday through through Saturday, they've been scattered back to their homes, back to their workplaces, to other cities, to other countries, to share and show the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what I, this is what I believe. What I believe is, yes, I believe that God is going to use what we do here on a Sunday morning to grow His church, but I believe even more so that God is going to use what we do Monday through Saturday to grow His church. And so the question that I want you to think about this morning is how will you walk out this door How will you walk out these doors and live sent each and every?